0: This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, use the Kurami code!
1: Hello, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that is the ideal podcast, and you may not like it, but this is what peak performance looks like. My name is Gap, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we've got the um, the, the the war game episode.
0: Yes, where uh, where we we don't have the uh, the board with the, the little pieces and you know tens of thousands of rules, but we got spaceships pretending to shoot at each other until they do, kind
1: of. Yeah, or we could teach a computer that peace is good because tic tac toe.
0: Yes, but. We'll cover that eventually. <laughs> so
1: this is uh, peak performance. You might have guessed, because otherwise mm-hmm. the the memes, mm-hmm. the memes.
0: Yes, the memes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to flex now. Don't mind me. I'm just uh, you know hitting peak performance here.
1: Uh, this was written by David Kemper, who's best known for his work on Farscape. Uh, he's also worked on Sequest and DSP. Stargate SG-1. Excellent, which um I' I should look I should have looked that up because there's a stargate sg one episode that is also War Games.
0: Hmm. Should well, have looked,
1: uh, seen if he was involved in that
0: yeah. <laughs> well uh, I, I do recall uh, you you know on the farscape side of things, uh, specifically uh, you know a whole bunch of episodes was like the executive producer and things like that. It was also, like, involved in the uh, the Farscape sort of miniseries movie thing. Uh, the Peacekeeper Wars. As far as uh, SG-1, uh, I'm trying to come up with the uh, the thing here real quick. They were in uh, There about The Grace Of God, which I don't remember mm. what that one was about. <laughs> um, oh, that's the one where uh, Daniel goes to the other universe, like the parallel dimension stuff. Oh, it's like, right, that. Yes. Um, yeah. And then... Uh, apparently was uh wrote part of citizen joe
1: citizen joe was some sort of we- was one of those weird earth conspiracy ones i think yes
0: <laughs> uh man breaks into jack's house and holds him in a gunpoint, claiming that jack ruined his life seven years ago he claimed came upon an, an artifact an ancient artifact at a garage sale that allows him to see all of sg1's missions
1: <laughs> whoops yeah that one that was their weird that was their clip show one of their clip shows yes
0: hmm yeah, that clip shows. That seems weirdly topical right now given where we are in, in TNG here, Shh, but spoilers. Oh, oh uh, yeah. Yes, never mind. <laughs> Spoiling. Nothing, oh, wrote?
1: nothing. There's no portents, there's no no ill omen. <laughs>
0: Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the, he also wrote like, uh, you know, some, some for like Voyager and uh, Swamp Thing TV series, uh, Silk Stockings, Is Tour of Duty. Has anyone
1: seen the Swamp Thing TV series? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Hunter. Uh, oh, there's
0: another one. Uh, Mantis. That's it. That's all I was thinking about. The one with the guy who's like in a wheelchair, but he gets like this exoskeleton thing and becomes a superhero
1: oh yeah i kind of enjoyed it let's see yeah i can't even find now they're making like a new swamp thing because of marvel shit so i can't even yeah. find <laughs> pictures of the 90s swamp thing tv show
0: oh well, uh it I, I actually got a couple pictures here uh it looks 90s Ooh. oh my god
1: <laughs> there's one found it what the? <laughs>
0: it's like, hey, uh, kind of looks like a, a lot of plant
1: matter just kind of congealed together and You're glued together onto a yeah. suit
0: <laughs>
1: mm. so it's like yep. a little set good. of it <laughs> good job okay sure okay yep that's that's uh that's something anyway we've got we've got guest stars yes um
0: in fact a uh, couple of them we've technically seen before
1: Yep, because they don't like remaking makeup. So we've got Roy Brocksmith who plays Sarna Karami who is the like alien that the like main alien dude we're getting this episode.
0: Yes. The, the friendly alien dude that uh,
1: well is, sort of.
0: Yeah. <laughs> is is he's the center of attention and he's on the good guys' side, so he's friendly enough.
1: The standoffish alien dude. Yes. <laughs> uh he's a very known he's a very well known actor because he's been in a lot of films and TV shows. Uh we mm-hmm. saw him in Total Recall. Yes. Which um comes out after this, I think. Yep. Not by very much long. So. And um I just liked that he has a credit in the nine the ninety eight movie psycho as man in cowboy hat outside of Reality Office. Uh, he's also been in stuff like Babylon 5, Wonder Years, Tales from the Crypt. He's just around. He's one of those character actors that's just in everything. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, uh, a White Dwarf uh, had a role in there. and It's one of those uh, made-for-TV movies that's kind of awesome, but is like, all right, this kind of feels like they're trying to kick off a whole series, but it's a little ambitious for when they put it together. <laughs> mm. But uh, I really uh, rather enjoyed his uh, particular role in uh, Babylon 5 uh, where he's playing a uh, brother uh, Alwyn Macumber um, from in an episode that's basically a we're going to jump forward various you know points into the future after this, the series concludes effectively and uh, look to see what's happening. and this is the one that's a thousand years on after the earth has been ravaged by a massive war and thrown back into sort of uh, a medieval era of, uh, of technology. And he is like a secret agent working for the people that don't live on Earth anymore, trying to help foster a new renaissance on the planet.
1: Yeah, kind of interesting. Yes. And, you
0: know, he's being all secretive, and there's a, a camera watching the whole thing, but, you know, the uh, the guy he's talking to doesn't know what a camera is. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right, we've also got... To Ferengi, because uh-huh. there's also Ferengi. There's always Ferengi. Still yes. hasn't given up on the Ferengi yet.
0: <laughs> They're still a dangerous force that we have to watch out for.
1: Sort of, yeah. You know, David Lander, Ferengi tactical officer. He's best known for playing uh, Squiggly in Laverne and Shirley. Huh. I've never seen Laverne and Shirley. I've never <laughs> seen people making fun of Laverne and Shirley.
0: Yes, uh, it's one of those things that I remember seeing random parts of and mostly remember the opening sequence.
1: And then da, da, we da, da, have da. the Ferengi. The one and only Ferengi. The one that's played, what is he, like four different Ferengi? At least. Uh, we've got Armin Sherman is back now playing for the Ferengi. Raktor. Raktor. It's different than the one... And the other one, and the one from the next time, and the one yes. from the time after that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, just you know, uh, we'll uh, use slightly different hues, and it's totally different uh, Ferengi. We, uh, we yeah. promise. <laughs> I mean,
1: it's just great because they gave the Ferengi such bad direction in uh, next gen. Mm-hmm. That all of his Ferengi voices in this are just like, you humans. <laughs> so when he just talks normal in DS9, it's completely unrecognizable. Yes.
0: <laughs> now, I, I do appreciate, uh, you know, we, we've already mentioned a few of the things before that uh, uh, he showed up in. But he's also, like, done voiceover work uh, for video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, in Bioshock, for instance. Uh, guess who he was acting in that.
1: Mm. Oh, I haven't played Bioshock in ah. a lot too long.
0: well uh yeah uh, so you know there's, there's, there's like you know like four or five characters technically mm. um you know, you know Dr. Suchon he's not that uh, no. you know, Atlas he's not that he's not the uh, you know you know the the secret alternative to Atlas either. <laughs> uh, he's, he's not the, the the scientist lady so who is left?
1: Now I'm having trouble main dude mr the guy who's not howard hughes yes uh,
0: andrew ryan <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes uh, he was andrew ryan so uh, that little, 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 i didn't i don't recognize his voice in that it's just yeah crazy like that
1: <laughs> i mean that's voice acting for you Yes,
0: he was also in bioshock 2 oddly enough
1: for some reason people from ds9 voice not howard hughes in video games quite frequently Yes, <laughs> it's just just a niche for some reason
0: yeah just how these things work out sometimes also is a uh, Doctor nefarious and ratchet and clank huh
1: never played those wow,
0: they're they're a lot of fun
1: this didn't have a i didn't have a playstation in that era of video games
0: oh you know, neither did i technically uh you know i eventually uh, picked one up and uh started buying old games that you know <laughs> resell places
1: i need to get around to it because i have the uh I've got the PS5's, you know, um, subscription thingy for old games. Hmm. So I should should get back around to that at some point. Yeah, I'd recommend the series. Uh... Whenever I'm done with my sixth playthrough of Baldur's Gate.
0: Yeah. Roll for initiative, Capwin.
1: Well, Eventually they'll make a good <laughs> Star Trek game again.
0: Like the 25th anniversary? Uh...
1: Yeah, I used to have the, the point-and-click ones. I forget what that was called. The, the Star Trek point-and-click adventure games. Nah. those were good and i had one for the game boy that was fun but i didn't have the instruction manual because i got it used and you were supposed to solve a lot of situations by hailing the other ship and talking to them mm-hmm. but i could not ever figure out what the command to hail the other ship was <laughs> so the romulans would show up and hail you and i could not ever figure out how you're supposed to answer the hail and then they would just start <laughs> shooting
0: it's like, you've failed to answer the hell I'm trying to find the button. Ah. <laughs> it's
1: like, why aren't you hailing us back? we shoot you now. <laughs> like, there's only three buttons on a Game Boy, and none of them does this. I have to put in a special sequence or something, mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> so anyway, that's, well, we should do a Star Trek video game special at some point.
0: Hmm, perhaps. Uh, maybe that will give me an excuse to try out that Star Trek Online that's uh, hot with all the kids these days.
1: Is it? i don't know is that what the kids are doing <laughs> i've played star trek online a little bit it's an mmo as in the way of mmos yes
0: <laughs> Do do get to fly a spaceship
1: sort of you, you get to maneuver something that looks sort of like a spaceship along a flat plane
0: oh well uh i guess that's a start uh, i guess it's sort of like the escape velocity uh, uh school uh, really uh mm-hmm. just you know pretending it's not
1: yeah basically Except fewer options, because Escape Velocity was one of those weird, like, do-whatever-you-want-but-with-complicated-controls kind of games. Yes. <laughs> like, of those I, first games I always made like, a pirate <laughs> fleet. I could capture ships and get five of the most powerful ships by my side, and then nothing mm-hmm. could challenge me until the one psychic dude showed up, and then you just die.
0: Ah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you have shields? How quaint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Anyway, are we, are we enough nerd for you? Is, is this nerdy enough for you? <laughs>
0: yeah, well, uh, we're we're having an episode where the the uh, the uh, the main, the main a- antagonist, aka alien that we already talked about, uh, you know, is on the good guy side and being really nerdy at everyone at the same time, <laughs> in the kind of annoying. Yes, I'm really good at all this stuff. Why are you guys not even trying? Sort of way, but mm. you know. <laughs> it's
1: in theme Nice. Right, so we're in we're in episode we're doing episodes now this is actually a kind of short synopsis because realistically not a lot happens this is mostly mm-hmm. jokes and some action scenes yes which i can't i i can i can repeat the jokes but like so much of these jokes are just visual jokes if i wrote them out it would be the most boring thing in the world <laughs> so the enterprise is taking part in a war games it's led by a zach dorn master strategist named Sinra Kolarami he is um matter of fact to the point of extreme rudeness Mm -hmm. he wants to get to work at once he wants to talk to Picard and Riker in the observation lounge as soon as he comes on board he's like stop doing the trees go away I hate you (laughs) yeah
0: there's no point to them so let's get to work guys come on
1: (laughs) chop chop uh, when they leave, the rest of the bridge crew all start to comment on the Zach Dorn because they are the best natural-born strategists in the galaxy, which is just weird. <laughs> well, it's, this it's species a... has evolved strategy.
0: Yes, uh, it's, it's one of those things where everyone has to be a planet of hats, even if it doesn't really make a lot of sense.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you could say that it's like a society that highly values strategic thinking and so yes. teaches it to everyone.
0: Yeah, especially people that they tend to like, uh, like the Federation. Like, the Federation doesn't want to, like, take us over. That's
1: like okay. one particular well. <laughs> kind of strategic thinking. So, you know, it's so a master at the game, Strategema, which uh, I guess is impressive because people are like, ooh, whatever, whatever grand master at Strategema.
0: Yeah, I, I guess it's sort of like, uh, you know, me when I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty good at EU4. And they're like, like, how good? Well, I got these... Number of random achievements here, like, oh my God, <laughs> Like there's people that are more hardcore than me, but okay, <laughs>
1: uh Worf thinks the the Zach Dorn are weak because they are strategists and not warriors.
0: hell, uh, Warf, uh, maybe at some point you'll be able to uh, use your superior warriorness in a, a situation where everyone else is trying to use strategy and, you know, I guess beat up the nerds yeah. Is that what you're trying to do.
1: Well, we we'll get into a very minor discussion on the difference between the, the, the Zack Dorn master strategists and the Klingons, who seem to be master tacticians, mm-hmm. but light on the strategy part.
0: Yes. <laughs> so... Oh, I could go into the whole thing there on the Dominion War, but anyway... <laughs>
1: So, Karami goes into details on this mission they've got. Riker's going to be put in command of an old derelict starship. He and his crew will have a few days to ready it for action, and then they will be attacked by the Enterprise with simulated weapons that are linked to the computers that will shut down various systems for simulated repair times. Huh. Seems um, like an unnecessary amount of work when you have... A holodeck? Um, yeah. Video <laughs> games? Like, you could just... D- d- why? Why do you need to make the entire ship do this?
0: Well, I guess this sort of uh, situation uh, you know calls for the unexpected, I guess. And you know, if you just simulate it uh, fully, you'll be able to, you know define things or be limited in your uh, in, in your your grittiness of your simulation by the things that you are predefining as uh, part of it. And so by having a ship with potential quirks to it, you might have things happen that you might not expect and you can make good use of these uh, in your, you know, for good or ill in your battle simulation, but that's in some ways not really helpful for your learning-based strategy.
1: Yeah, for for what we'll see (laughs) later, this is much more a test of how well you can repair a ship over what you're good at strategically.
0: Yes, yeah. If you uh, wanted to uh, have a good test of the strategic, uh, you know, uh, metal of uh, uh, you know uh, of the, uh, the participants, actually giving them a, a sort of a series of different, uh, you know, in- encounters, you know, including ones where there's a mi- massive mit- mismatch one way and then the other, as well as you know, was uh, straight even you know competitions here. How do you win when you know that everyone that the other side has all the capabilities that you have
1: massively superior firepower yes it also doesn't make a lot of sense that like since they're simulating all the weapons and everything why do they need to repair so much of the ship if everything is being simulated yes (laughs) anyway uh is dubious of riker because he has a casual command style however picard sees this as a strength and he's going to see it in full effect as he smooth talks Worf and geordi into joining his crew and uh also recruits wesley because learning opportunities and then a few other random people who we don't care about yes because they're not main characters
0: yeah, well i i guess you know the Worf and Jordy are pretty obvious you want you know yard as you mentioned klingons tend to be very good at the whole tackle thing <laughs> uh even though the Wharf is like i don't know i want to like an actual real fight you'll you know without the risk of danger what's the point point? But you know, Riker's like, mm, so you uh, chicken? <laughs> mm-hmm. Jordy's like, yeah, that sounds like just a whole <laughs> yeah, hoot. Jordy's I was like, it. oh, I
1: already um, packed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when <really> yeah, <laughs> R- repair a whole ship and get it st- uh, started from nothing? Heck yeah, count me in.
1: <laughs> Riker also challenges Karami to a game of Stratajama. He, of course, has no expectation of winning because Korami is the best player who has ever lived. Mm-hmm. But he says just getting to face him in a match is a privilege and he can learn from it, etc. Even though he's yes. going to get stomped. <laughs> you know, the crew will, uh chant and cheer him on, etc. for the entire 10 seconds it takes for him to lose the game. Yes.
0: <laughs> you know, given that it takes so long to put the little finger doohickeys mm-hmm. on, you might as well, like, do, like you know best 10 out of uh you know 20 or
1: 19 yeah. there or something like that <laughs> well it's also interesting given the game times like even if you're massively mismatched at chess or something mm-hmm. like you're you're not going to win the game in 10 seconds unless you like make a big mistake or scholars mate somebody
0: yes <laughs> you, you appear to have uh you have eaten your own king um, oh sorry i thought that was my bagel uh <laughs>
1: So uh, Pulaski then gets a little bit obsessed with the idea of Data beating Kilrami to you know take him down a peg or two because uh, she's mad at how arrogant he is. Which, interestingly, <laughs> Pulaski is very, very, the entire rest of the entire series, is very, Data is no better than any random computer. Yeah. <laughs> um, if a computer was capable of beating this dude at Stratagema it would have by now yes so the fact that she suddenly is like so enamored of data's abilities that she's like he will there's no way data could lose it's Mm -hmm. a bit of a strange turnaround they really cannot peg her character down when it comes to whether or not she's being data racist
0: yes You know, it's like you know, back in elementary deer data. It's like, oh, well, maybe data actually is kind of a you know a person here, but uh, I'm I, I'm gonna still have to do these sort of tests here, and then it gets a little bit more yeah warm they, after that. And they then didn't
1: really show the character growth because, yeah. like, elementary deer data is data is hu- is fully incapable of innovative strategic thinking. <laughs> and then now it's like you would definitely beat the best person who's ever played this game
0: yes a, a game that's you know is reliant on building strategy and you know creative thinking and all that and that's completely different than that uh thing i said you couldn't do uh you know before so, yeah yeah
1: <laughs> so uh Riker and his crew beam over to the hathaway which is an old out-of-date derelict ship that can barely sustain life support
0: so uh yeah, they're doomed.
1: Uh, Karami relates this is in fact the point, because if you have superior weapons, they expect you to win. So a completely mm-hmm. unfair fight is the only way. <laughs> um, what if you have completely equal weapons? Yes.
0: Or maybe, say, a different sort of system on or the two minor ships.
1: Minor differences yeah. in your uh, abilities, instead of the Enterprise is going to just destroy you in one shot. Yes. <laughs>
0: it's like you know you know maybe the hathaway has uh very good long range weapons but is terrible up close so as long as they can get away from the enterprise they'll be okay but uh you know if they Mm -hmm. uh, end up right next to it well they're doomed wesley Um, has
1: a line later on that sums up the entire thing where he just says well if this doesn't work the enterprise will just waltz over and pulverize us yep
0: (laughs) so you know, we got to have, have to be able to pull some tricks out here because, oh. yeah, this is really re- kind of ridiculous. <laughs>
1: so they find that the ship is actually warp capable. There's no cracks in the uh, containment housing and whatever, and they have a little bit of dilithium, but mm-hmm. they don't have any antimatter, which means mm-hmm. they can't power the ship, essentially.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I guess uh, boot up some uh, fusion reactors uh, to uh, keep you know, the main power going for the time being and uh, do whatever does that the Enterprise has to generate antimatter hmm. you could just do that right
1: yeah you, you should be able to do something but yeah. uh, maybe this ship is pre-antimatter generation
0: huh. that's a little you weird know, like
1: how the original enterprise was
0: yeah <laughs> you uh yeah you know, you, so you have to refuel every once in a while as opposed to self-generating yeah.
1: so uh, wesley goes back to the enterprise even though it's technically against the rules because he has to dispose of a dangerous experiment he was running because mm. it's uh, antimatter reaction that he's studying, but oh no, he left it alone for too long because he forgot. He was excited, and uh, it's it's too bad he has to beam it into space, which happens yes. to be the Hathaway's engine room.
0: Yes, it's it's in space now. Don't don't check the coordinates. Bye. I mean,
1: we were already in space. <laughs> True. Hmm. Uh, Worf begins preparing ways to trick the Enterprise into seeing other ships attacking it by entering codes. And such, and pulling uh, fiber optic cables out of the ceiling. Yeah, as you do. That was always one of the fun ones. like, where do I get the fiber optic cable for that? (laughs) Wherever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we don't need all the uh, bells and whistles on this uh, ship here. We just Like, this one that's hanging loose is
1: obviously not doing anything important. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Uh, Wesley and LaForge can also use the antimatter to do a quick warp jump and or um destroy the engine entirely. One of those. Yes.
0: Yeah. So uh, either they'll be over there or exploded.
1: hmm Well, they'll stall out. They're not going to blow up from that, but yeah. <laughs> the engine will stop working. Uh Pulaski convinces Kalrami to play against Data in Strategima. Um much to Data's surprise, the crew all go to chant him on as he loses. Yes. Almost uh, as quickly as Riker did.
0: Yeah, it's like, well crap. Um um, Pulaski, why did you make this really embarrassing mm-hmm. thing happen to me? Pulaski? So Data
1: sequesters <laughs> himself in his room and uh, refuses to do duties because he obviously is defective and fallible.
0: Well, uh, I guess, uh, welcome to reality?
1: Well, like, you know, he should have been able to do this thing and he made no mistakes and he lost.
0: Hmm. So, maybe uh, there's a, maybe there's an important lesson we can have out <laughs> of this.
1: Troy and Pulaski try to cheer him up, but they uh, can't get him to regain his confidence because, you know, he didn't do anything wrong. So there's something wrong with me. My mm. thinking is, is faulty. They get the captain to go talk some sense into him, and Picard orders Data to get better. Yes. <laughs> like, t- stop moping. <laughs> and then he has the, the central message of this whole arc, which is you can. it is possible to make absolutely no mistakes and still lose. That's just life. Yeah
0: that's actually good advice uh there are many a time in my own life where it's like yeah i kind of did everything i was supposed to but i kind of got screwed over in the end sometimes it was intentional by people but sometimes it was just matters of happenstance and well you gotta kind of live with it yeah
1: and this is why i hate engineers and how they teach math (laughs) because i had a uh i had a roommate in college who was getting a degree in engineering and half of his classes were build robots to fight each other and to whatever, you know, the bracket list of your cool engineering robot will be your grade. It's like, but if everyone built exactly the same machine, Mm -hmm. somebody would still get a failing grade.
0: Yes. (laughs) That would actually be an interesting thing to try in a class like that. Yes, let's all design together Mm -hmm. a standard robot and have them completely the same.
1: I would do that. I would just organize everyone together. It's like, we are all going to build exactly the same thing. And we're going to prove to this stupid teacher that this is the dumbest way to grade classes. <laughs> but, you know, they're engineers. Oh, my God. Anyway, sorry. I grew up around too many engineers. I have a grudge.
0: <laughs> well, as a physicist, I also have a kind of a grudge against engineers. Uh, sorry, Zach. But... Uh... <laughs> uh and and max and you know other zach and <laughs> anyway uh you know it is uh you know it's it's still sort of a a weird sort of uh cultural you know uh, uh rivalry that's nobody takes really seriously, but there is when we're actually trying to work together a lot of moments where we're like okay, we're clearly talking about completely different things but using the same language for it. Mm -hmm. so we need to fix
1: this (laughs) so anyway we now have uh data data is more confident again and he goes over riker's tactical knowledge Um, he analyzed all of riker's past fights and assignments and things and realized that he does not really have consistent tactics other than he is untraditional Hmm. he only uses traditional tactics less than 40 percent of the time
0: so, uh, I guess we should be uh, on the uh, keeping the eye out for something weird happening.
1: Yeah, but he might know that, so he might go back to traditional tactics, but he might expect them to know that because they know him, so he might go back to his unconventional tactics. <laughs>
0: hmm. I have gone cross-eyed, Gepwin. <laughs> uh.
1: But the also the the gist is, basically, the weaker the position that Riker is in, the harder he will fight everyone around him.
0: Huh. Well, I guess that uh, means he has a bit of spunk in him. Hmm. How do you feel about that, Kulrami? Ho-ho!
1: Kolrami winds up really liking Riker by the end of this whole thing. Yeah. Even though he's, mm-hmm. he's portrayed as a cowardly dick at certain points. But. Yes. So they begin their battle simulation. Riker immediately uses his trick to create Romulan warbirds. The Enterprise responds by changing all their weapons over and turning around and trying to defend. And then the Hathaway blasts them. Blasts their shields, doing like a ton of damage hmm.
0: oh no the enterprise is going to be destroyed by the fake lasers oh. yeah.
1: uh, Picard orders them to change the enterprise command codes which maybe that should be like just standard operating procedure yes. anytime a <laughs> officer leaves the ship <laughs> this seems to happen all the time you have a yes, pretty uh... fatal flaw in your uh, in your programming here if you have yeah, absolutely I... no way to detect that the command is coming from outside of the ship
0: Mhm. <laughs> Which I guess you know is uh, something we've technically seen before, uh, back in uh, Star Trek II, mm-hmm. uh, when they was like, "Oh no, our shields are falling uh, because they hacked our ships by using the codes we, you know, left open and let them talk to our computer."
1: Anyway, <laughs> which like that makes sense because a non-Starfleet crew took over and didn't know mm-hmm. how to safeguard against these things. Oh. <laughs> but this one, you like that, just seems like a very large security error that you have there yes <laughs> so they detect a ferengi ship now and um they assume that it's a trick because mm-hmm. you know they just got tricked it's like haha you won't trick us twice but then the ferengi actually shoot them and that locks the enterprise's weapons into the computer weapons that actually don't do anything hmm well
0: uh i guess we don't have any weapons to uh, fight the ferengi wait wh- why do we need to fight the ferengi
1: Because the Ferengi want the secrets of the other ship. Because if they're attacking it, it has to be valuable, right? And they have 10 minutes before they just destroy both of them. Hmm. Uh, Because the Ferengi are just dumb. They're just just stupid.
0: Well, uh, yeah. Also, there's something you could do that might uh, solve the situation, uh, Picard. You could tell the Ferengi, oh, we're doing a war game. Would you like to participate? We can show you how.
1: Yeah, do you do you want to play with us? Yeah, it's fun.
0: Yeah, this might be a great way to. There's no profit in that. (laughs) Ah, stupid humans! You you get the profit of you know being better able to fight people. Mm. Uh,
1: (laughs) So Karami is a big fan of strategically running the hell away and leaving everyone else to die, but strategically.
0: Yeah, so uh, he's using some cold equation math here, and I don't like it.
1: Uh, They're in a bad place, though. Like um with a lot of work the enterprise could probably fire a few photons but uh, they won't do much against a ferengi for some reason their ships seem to be absurdly powerful for the level of technology they demonstrate them having but okay
0: (laughs) well i guess the ferengi uh you know are very good at you know uh, making sure that they are in a position of strength when they go into situations uh you know both in terms of uh you know uh deals generally as well as uh you know their, their military capabilities you don't want to be flying into you know federation space where you don't really know what's going on yet uh before uh, you know the series starts here and find yourself wildly outmatched so make sure your ships are up to snuff in order to defend themselves and you know maybe kick some ass along the way you know just you know maybe have smarter crews in charge too
1: i think one of the things that they didn't really get right with the like you know frangy ultra capitalist whatever whatever is uh they should have access to all of the same technology because they're master Mm -hmm. traders negotiators etc but because they are cheap as fuck they don't put Mm -hmm. any of it on their ships because it would be Mm -hmm. expensive and their ships would obviously be built by the lowest possible bidder which means they Mm -hmm. should be falling apart constantly
0: which and they're too might, cheap to repair yeah. them.
1: Because <laughs> that's how a capitalist would work in space. Just, Indeed. just look at, uh, you know, <laughs> SpaceX. Yeah. <laughs> and how many of their rockets are exploding.
0: Yeah, and, and the, the launch pads as well, and, you know.
1: Yeah. Anyway, so um, they can't I destroy can. the Ferengi because they've only got a photon or two that they could fire. But, you know, man,
0: you know just shove it in the tube and turn it on and it'll eventually fall out. <laughs>
1: But, uh, as Riker points out, they could destroy the Hathaway.
0: Well, uh, bye, Riker.
1: So, Riker informs them that they have warp drive. Now, it's Mm. impossible. It should be impossible. But, hey, you wanted me to cheat, so I cheated. Yep. (laughs) So, if they time it very, very exactly, they can warp away just before the photons explode. And Worf can... Use the same trick that he used on the Enterprise against the Ferengi because he also knows their command codes for some reason, apparently.
0: <laughs> this would have been a perfect moment to actually showcase what you just uh, you know, you know, talked about there. That's, uh, oh, you, you know, uh, Worf was like, I recognize this computer system. It's one that, you know, was based off a of Federation design. I can also, in, you, know, in, you know, interject uh, code into this to make it, you know, uh, confused about what's going on.
1: <laughs> mm, they never do that with, like, Ferengi, Paklids, anybody who uses scavenged tech, they never go like, mm-hmm. well, I recognize this thingy, so you yeah. can use that, <laughs> which means that your your people would be smart instead of um, not. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> I think this is the reason that people get nitpicky and uh, and talk about plot holes and things in Star Trek specifically, mm-hmm. because when you are literally making up everything, there's, there's no excuse for having a plot hole. Because Mm -hmm. you could just put in half a line of dialogue that says, and we can do that because of the Ferenginator. And there you go.
0: (laughs) Yes, the Ferenginator. (laughs) It is your uh, catch-all doohickey for when you need a a plot device that uh, covers up your plot holes and lets people not worry about it anymore. Buy a Ferenginator tonight.
1: (laughs) So... They have a plan, but as we said earlier, there's sort of a 50-50 chance that this warp drive isn't going to do anything, in which case the Hathaway will really be blown to hell. Huh.
0: Well, um, bye, Riker!
1: <laughs> so Picard contacts the Ferengi, um, yells, I deny you your prize, and then fires at the Hathaway. <laughs> it's
0: like, well, uh, uh, okay, I guess we're not going to profit from this, uh, bye! hmm
1: uh backtor is about to destroy the enterprise out of anger then he detects another federation ship approaching uh they beam everyone back on board of course and set course the nearest starbase
0: Hey, huh. yeah. so we the won't
1: Hathaway is just there i guess <laughs> yes <laughs> also um the people in the enterprise are still stupid because like i don't detect another ship it's like yeah because that was the entire plan thanks yes. for paying attention <laughs> <laughs> this is this is why you listen during the meetings yes
0: <laughs> come on guys pay attention
1: <laughs> then later uh Riker and pulaski go to see the rematch that data's having with karami they have been playing for longer than any game of stratajima has ever lasted eventually ah. karami just forfeits and leaves and uh data explains that he stops trying to win he had the intention of playing to a draw. So he was giving up obvious winning strategies that Korami would expect him to use and then exploit. Um, hmm. So he messed up Karami's strategy and that let Data, you know, rough him up a little bit.
0: Yeah. And uh, Data, you know, being a being that doesn't really tire in the traditional sense, is up against someone with a little bit more flesh and bone onto them that might not tire easily, but is eventually going to get tired of this crap and, well, give up
1: i mean they didn't do that eventually he would have made a mistake and then data could have won but uh what they did was have him get angry and leave which he goes like you know oh well that's not winning it's like no in in literally any game ever made flipping the table and leaving is you forfeiting which means you won. that's just how that's how it works
0: (laughs) yes (laughs) uh yeah it's you know you he, it's not like oh, it's it's Karl Marx at a at a table of Monopoly throwing the table over and saying revolution. That's not how this <laughs> is going here. This is you know this guy has given up the game because he doesn't want to play anymore and thus is conceding. So you know, yeah, that's good
1: enough. <laughs> that's that's that you won. Good job. Yeah, you did
0: it. <laughs> did you uh, like my uh, uh, you know uh, existential comics reference
1: there? <laughs> i don't think i've seen that but it's fun stuff (laughs) i do know that uh monopoly was originally made as a capitalist critique and then when it was bought by Hasbro, it was turned into a capitalist celebration
0: yep but (laughs) still you know there's only one winner at the end right so it's still kind of a critique
1: (laughs) (laughs) except you win you win by by doing by doing monopoly though uh you could possibly say that that you lose because you've made everyone else homeless and now you can't buy food because even though you can afford it no one can afford to make it yes (laughs) and then you starve to death (laughs) either that or your money is now worthless because no one else has any so um so uh, congratulations
0: you uh, can buy nothing because nothing's being produced and you can buy nothing because your money doesn't matter anymore
1: so really the end point of monopoly after you do all of that should be leveraging whatever whatever like social capital you've managed to build up to convince your security guards to keep guarding you from the horde mm-hmm. after money has become worthless yes um uh,
0: hmm maybe okay security guards you get houses uh we'll try not to upgrade those to hotels while you're not looking um and uh, also for food um we're 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 we got this big thing you know, that uh, we borrowed from this train guy that uh, makes these bars of gelatin, <laughs> and uh, you know it'll be great. You'll, you'll love it.
1: <laughs> what do you have on the Monopoly boy? You've got you've got a giant dog, which I mm-hmm. guess you could get that, get some meat out of that. Yes. Other than that, boil the top hat. I guess.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm going to eat my hat. Oh, <laughs> oh, maybe I have to feed it to these guys first. They're looking kind of hungry. Mm, then they have guns. Hmm. Uh, this whole uh, neo-feudalism thing isn't working out so well.
1: <laughs> neo-feudalism is—I don't uh, oh know—that's techno-feudalism. Is the internet? Is the neo-feudalism would be what we get after they become all baronies. I don't know what that would be in the post-apocalypse, no money society that they're trying to create.
0: Oh, now I'm also thinking about the film High Rise, but it's not quite science fiction. <laughs> So I don't think anyway, it's something we would cover in this. Sh- <laughs> um, this anyway, is the,
1: this is a war game episode, and everybody's mostly yes. just having fun. And uh, then they pull out a trick that they were going to use on the Enterprise against the Ferengi, and then they win. Um, there's yes. not there's not a lot of deep happening here.
0: Not really. Um, no, I guess uh, we could uh, talk about games <laughs> of some sort.
1: Well, it is interesting, so- the uh, the strategy game thing something that that i don't find it that annoying i know some people who find it mildly annoying that you have games like stratagema in this world is obviously just chess but everybody plays chess so it's not not impressive anymore (laughs) it's space chess the idea that like because you are good at this thing you are a master strategist or tactician or whatever it's like being good at, at a game like chess makes you good at exactly one thing and that is playing chess yes (laughs) and that's good it's great that you want to be good at playing chess and you got good at playing chess but it makes you good at playing chess and not much else
0: Uh, if there's something with similar sort of rule sets say chess variants you could probably be pretty good at those too
1: yeah like i'm i'm crap at playing chess i'm not bad at playing stratego those Mm -hmm. those have no compatible strategy crossover so i'm really Mm -hmm. bad at one and fairly good at the other Yes.
0: But you move pieces on a board, Gepwin. They're yeah. exactly the same. <laughs> but yeah, I guess going back to the thing I mentioned earlier about uh, me being pretty good at EU4, European uh, Universalis 4. For those unaware, uh, it is. You know, there are other games that are in sort of the similar genre that I also tend to be pretty good because I am kind of you know down on the basics of uh, this uh, one particular game. But that doesn't mean that I'm well-situated for running an actual nation. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm able to, you know, uh, you know lead a army into battle, or I'm capable of, you know, uh, sorting out the uh, you know, trade plan for an entire part of the, the world, or even just a small uh, city, state. It's, you know, th- these are all various things that are touched upon in a game like that, but it doesn't actually translate into actually having the full skill sets for the totality of what's being simulated.
1: Yeah, the uh, the idea of the game is kind of like a, you know, you could get into into like simulation and simulacrum mm-hmm. sort of idea. In this in these kinds of war game things especially, because it's like you're simulating all of the stuff so that you can practice in a safe situation where you don't have Mm -hmm. to deal with all the other things and theoretically that lets you practice enough that when you hit the actual situation you're better at it but the actual simulation situation has stress and the fear of death and all this other stuff which is why i think we really like the this war game episode keeps popping up in all kinds of different media franchises Mm -hmm. because like the enterprise is a big cool ship with lots of guns on it and you they they don't like using it because the whole thing is about peace and whatever and you have yes. to put your characters in danger and it's stressful but if it's all here's a fun war game you can just imagine like yeah that would be cool i could be on the ship and play war games and shoot space lasers and be the best
0: mm-hmm. and it's all okay because no one's really getting hurt
1: yeah everyone's having fun and it's just enjoyable you're doing interesting interesting uh strategic things and making up rules
0: and you know it's uh it's exciting. It's fun. There's no tragedy involved. It's, uh, it's a, it's uh, a, little bit of a divergence from you know what fighting actually is like. Maybe there's an allegory here. That uh, It's all fun and games until someone loses their uh, entire body. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I think you can uh, you can look at this game simulation thing. If any, anyone who has ever tried to like make their own game up you wind up with all these these grand plans and ideas and then somebody tries to do something outside of your scope and then you have to adjust your rules and do something else and the more you know the simpler you want it to be checkers you move mm-hmm. the pieces around a board a little bit you have some extra rules for certain things but really it's got like five rules in the whole game and it's got a very limited scope and it's a relatively easy to learn game but Mm-hmm. you know dungeons and dragons has seven multi-chapter rule books to try to have a rule for every possible contingency of that anyone could ever do and yes and they still that's don't not enough <laughs> and then you still have to make things up later on the fly
0: mm-hmm. and uh you know and and that's if you're just playing dungeons and dragons without you know say uh you know additional books for specialty classes or you know alternative settings and the like which can have their own sets of additional rules on top of that which Some, you know also still don't cover everything
1: <laughs> so an interesting interesting point i saw in a video the other day i forget who what it was about who made it so i apologize but that they said that um for games freedom is a very very large rule book yes because the <laughs> rules of the game is what defines the entire parameters of the game. The more the more rules, the more individual rules and things you have, the more you can do. Because otherwise it's outside of the scope of the game. The rules mm-hmm. define the scope of your game world.
0: They provide the mechanics to use.
1: There was an interesting book a while back that I read called, um, where are we? Reality is Broken by Jane McGonigal. <laughs> which she's got some interesting points i don't agree with all of her ideas in that which is basically you can gamify the world into a better place but yeah
0: the thing's a little more complicated than mm, that but yeah i I get where they're going for
1: but she did start with what i think is a very good easy uh definition of what a game is which is essentially a simple task that you have put artificial constraints on to make it more difficult Hmm. like if you take golf golf at its simplest form is you take a ball and you put it in a hole. And that is actually a very easy task that most people would be able to do without much of a problem. Yes. But that's not very <laughs> interesting this, yeah. or fun or challenging. So you put a bunch of stuff between you and the hole and you put the hole really far away and then you have to hit the ball with a stick.
0: Yes, you, know, you can't just you know carry it over there. You have to you know, hit it in an impulse fashion with this device.
1: And now all of a sudden you have these this uh artificial world which is the golf course and within this artificial world you have to live by a completely separate set of artificial rules that are enforced socially by the other people playing the game with you mm-hmm. because you're not allowed to pick up the ball and move it or throw it or kick it and if you do everybody else says hey you're not allowed to do that and they shame you for it essentially you can get yes. docked rules but the real uh, you can get docked points but the real, actual consequence is social. Everyone goes, "Hey, you cheated this game."
0: Yeah. So, it, you know, if you want to, you know, count this as a win for you, we're not going to count it. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can spend all day going, "Hey, I won," but uh, we're going to go, "No, you you didn't. We saw you kick the ball into the hole."
0: Your foot is not a club. Sorry.
1: <laughs> and then they won't want to play with you again. Yes. Was well, an interesting idea I saw a while back. The, uh, there was an interesting like, sociologist talk I saw a while ago that I'm not going to be able to find now, so apologies for not being able to cite it fully. But he was using this idea to explain the way that people socially interact. It was a thing he was calling the path of least resistance. Because <laughs> when you're playing Monopoly, you are operating by a set of rules defined by the game in this little artificial world, World where the rules of social interaction are different than they normally would be as defined by the game rules. Mm -hmm. And no one should want to do that because it's kind of (laughs) stupid. Like you should be able to do basically whatever you want in Monopoly and no one can actually stop you. But the reason that you don't or never even try is because that's just the social path of least resistance. Mm. As long as everyone follows the rules in the back of the box, no one's going to complain And as long as no one complains, everything's very easy and streamlined, and everyone can enjoy themselves. But when someone breaks a rule in the back of the box, everyone complains about it. You've now created social resistance, and your general goal in most social interactions with most people is going to be to avoid social resistance. So whatever is the easiest thing to do socially that's not going to create pushback from other people is what you wind up doing most of the time.
0: Indeed. I guess uh, I do have a, a weird counterexample of that sort of thing. The game mm-hmm. Munchkin. It is in the rulebook that if there is a dispute in the rules, you must have a loud argument.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> no, that's still the accepted social parameter as exactly. set forth by the game.
0: <laughs> but it's a little a little less um, easy, I guess. The <laughs> least resistance using... might be to ignore the rule. <laughs>
1: He was using it as an interesting example of uh the ways that you can alter behavior fairly easily if you create a certain amount of social resistance yes because say you're all hanging out in a group and someone sells a like off-color joke that people don't really like like most people are going to not say anything because that's usually the easiest thing to do in that situation but if someone does if someone pushes back on the joke a little bit and goes hey that's not a cool thing to do now the joke has social resistance And so the next time the person is going to be less likely to do that because they know they will experience social resistance for saying that joke again.
0: Indeed. Now, I have seen situations where uh, that uh, resistance doesn't crop up, but that's usually because somebody's drunk. (laughs) Yeah. And they don't quite get it into their head.
1: Like, it doesn't always work. Obviously, people are going to do it to various degrees. But it's just generally, most of the time, when people are just generally interacting, you're usually going to do the thing that's easiest to do.
0: There are always going to be contrarians or uh, edge cases. But, you know, for the general flow of things, yeah, this is kind of how things go.
1: Yeah, that's about as much of game world as I can get. It's an interesting... It's a really interesting, weird sociological concept because you are creating a shared reality that exists only within the game, does not exist outside of the game, is agreed on by all parties in the game, and is a complete social construct that Indeed. everyone just agrees on and uh, and works with for the purposes of enjoying themselves. As so far as right. everything is a social construct, but we don't actually have time yes. to break that one down. You know? <laughs>
0: You know, I guess uh, there's something I actually do in uh, some of my uh, uh, writing. Uh, so uh, the, you know, novel manuscript I'm trying to uh, get published still, uh, Europa Europa, there is a... Uh, the, th- the first chapter features the, the main character playing a game uh, with uh, one of their uh, uh, associates. And the, I guess the the social construct of it is that this is a challenge and uh, you know you say you're good at video games in general I'm challenging that so let's play a game of my choosing but the sort of meta game that uh, kind of goes on on top of that is the being tricky about the choice so that you find a game that you are you know very good at but are going to be sort of selling it as a game that they, you know, uh, you know, are going to assume is of a different type, so they get, you know, studied up and practiced on something completely useless, so that you still have an advantage, even if they were to say, you know, figure out the uh, the specific game, you know, you know, you know, the specifics of what you're trying to do, because they can't. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, and so, I, I guess I have a little bit of fun when it comes to uh, that sort of thing. That sometimes the social construct around a game can be more complicated than at you know first glance. I guess the sort of classic example of that would be games like uh, Diplomacy, where it's like okay, the rules are actually pretty straightforward on how you sort of do things. Like if you do this, you can potentially take over territory and. Well, uh, then that ha- you know, then stuff happens and all that. But the real play comes in to the negotiations of, all right, if I do this, I need to make sure someone doesn't at the same time stab me in the back, <laughs> or the person that's supposed to be helping me do this thing is not going to uh, suddenly not and leave me hanging in defeated. And you know, so there's a lot of sort of building up. Of uh, sort of social relationships there and trying to build trust levels that is not in the rules at all. And so you get this sort of extra level of uh, sort of ad hoc rules b- being developed by the players themselves as things progress. Uh, and so you get more than what's written on the page. And, you know, I kind of, you know, like that sort of thing in terms of the possibilities of games that. The rules, as written, uh, you know, might be the path of least resistance. But if they're written well, then they could also encourage a little bit more complexity to what's going on. Yeah, you know, so not just complicated, you know, uh, this, you know, not just complicating the situation, but adding more uh, depth to the whole experience. And so you might still have a bit of. You know, you, know, you know, this is the rules of being nice to your friends going on here. But at the same time, you're all having this sort of, you know, core thing of wanting to win the game. And in order to do that, you might have to be a little shady about some uh, uh, things with some folks and also, you know, be fully on board with other things at the same time. And, this, you know, and, and so it sort of builds this, uh, you know, new level of interaction with people that is completely motivated by that core desire to win the game. But let's say you didn't want to win the game. You wanted to, say, play it to a draw. Then things become so much more simple. (laughs) You just need to keep anyone else from actually succeeding in anything. And to do that is a lot less uh, intensive in terms of uh, interactions. You can observe people trying to forge an alliance to do x y or z and you can do what you need to in order to foil that even if it results in nothing happening and uh, there's some, some interesting stuff you can sort of play with in terms of uh taking a different approach to uh, behavior in a game like that
1: yeah you've got a whole genre of things now like the secret hitler spy um among us is the popular one at the minute mm-hmm. where the game rules are designed to create distrust paranoia or some other particular thing that plays with the actual people in the real world outs mm-hmm. more outside of the constructed world of the game itself
0: oh uh, i i kind of wish i'd uh, uh actually sat down to play that uh board game of the thing <laughs> <laughs> Though that might have been one where the uh, you don't even necessarily know that you are uh, on a certain team or not, so.
1: <laughs> that one's fun. That's interesting. Yes. <laughs> there's, a, um, there's a story that keeps going around of um, a classroom exercise that, that someone did where they were talking about mob hysteria, essentially, and... Mm-hmm they said that they were going to go around the room and tell a certain number of people in the class, tell people in the class whether they were a witch or not. That Hmm. was the only thing. I'm going to go around, I'm going to tell everyone in the class whether or not they are a witch. And I want you to create a group with no witches in it. Hmm. And they eventually break everything up they do this whole thing they find different ways of determining who's a witch or not they they separate themselves out and then at the end the teacher goes i told and absolutely no one in the room they were a witch
0: <laughs> so uh, how many people did you uh, burn at the stake this time kids yeah, how
1: many people got ostracized <laughs> or kicked out of the group or put in other groups because you uh, just didn't like the look of them or whatever
0: <laughs> oh uh, I, I guess there is maybe one easy way out of that one everyone forms a group of one (laughs) (laughs) Then you got at least one group without assuming that there's you know not all witches yeah i
1: forget if it was i forget if it was all like create a group with nothing or if it was create two groups and one should be no witches and one should be all witches but of course you're not allowed to say whether or not you are
0: you know uh going back to eu4 stuff there for just a moment uh
1: uh, are you
0: familiar with uh, the uh, the multiplayer game I played with Bill Culp back in the
1: day? No, I don't know much EU at well, all. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, it was also with a few other fo- uh, friends of mine there: uh, uh, Tyoneer, uh, Mings, uh, and uh, oh, uh, uh, Wiz, uh, and uh, you know Bill, of course, and myself. And uh, you know, we are uh, you know having a good time playing, building our empires, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, Tynier is, you know, he's a good guy, but, you know, he can get very, you know, uh, proud of his accomplishments in that, in that particular game there. And, uh, and so he was also in a very strong position in terms of sort of the basic things that the game is sort of, you know, uh, has a, a slant for in terms of, you know, generally being an easier uh, play for those starting in Europe as compared to everywhere else. Um, And so, you know, he started in Europe, I started in Southeast Asia, so there was a little bit of a a friendly rivalry between the two of us. And I figured out a brilliant strategy on how to uh, take land from him uh, uh, successfully. And do you know how I did that?
1: Did you just ask?
0: Uh, Sort of, actually, but (laughs) I didn't ask him. I did a secret deal with Bill, actually. (laughs) (laughs) That uh I would declare war on Bill, who was allied with pioneeroneer, and then, as part of then at some point into the war, I would offer Bill a peace deal that would give me a bunch of pioneerer's land
1: and that's how you wind up with the current Middle East crisis
0: <laughs> uh, kind of uh it was mostly land in India, but you know. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was a, a rather intense uh, a, a game there, and of course, immediately after That he turns on Bill, so I had to go to uh, come to Bill's aid. The game continued for a little bit after that, anyway. <laughs> but it is, you know, one of those uh, my favorite examples of sometimes you can play a game that is different than the one that's obviously going on here. There can be secret alliances.
1: And that's how that you do a thing. colonialism. Yes.
0: Uh, though I was I was actually playing uh, Malaysia, so I was being an anti-colonialist, I guess. <laughs> Even though I settled bits of Africa and South America, anyway, <laughs> it was a wild time.
1: So okay, that's. <laughs> so that once again,
0: fun. we've gotten back to colonialism.
1: <laughs> we did it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's usually our cue to go to the galaxy's favorite game show
0: hey everybody welcome back to the galaxy's favorite game show our various contestants here have been trying really hard to uh to uh, get lots of points here And uh, there's a lot of holograms And finger doohickeys with wires Yep, when, what are they doing? I, I don't know Anyway. Yeah, why do uh, they
1: need that many controls?
0: Yeah Maybe there's more dimensions to what's going on here Than we realize um, Anywho, let's start handing out some prizes Because we got some people who got uh, scores That they uh, got high enough on The first one is the wharf effect Which goes to Data For losing to Kurami don't worry, Data. You get your revenge in the end. What does he win, Gepwin?
1: Data wins some bling. Because Worf gets, like, a sash and some other cool shit. And, mm-hmm. you know, to, to make up for the fact he gets beat up all the time, he gets extra uniform stuff. So Data should get yeah. to just, like, I don't know, have a cool android pin or something.
0: Hmm. Like a, uh, maybe a big H on his forehead. Wait, wrong wrong series. Hmm. Anyway, our uh, second prize is the Surprise Blind Date Prize, which goes to Pulaski for secretly issuing a challenge on Data's behalf. Seriously not cool, but uh, I guess it helped us learn a lesson or something. What what does she win, Gepwin?
1: Pulaski gets a reality show, which is going to be entertaining, because it's like a matchmaker reality show, where somebody just sets up your stuff, but she's so absurdly bad at it, that everything ends in basically an armed conflict.
0: <laughs> oh my. Uh, so, uh, yes, yeah, so I, I guess uh, do, do no harm is uh, maybe not uh, what uh, Dr. Pulaski is up to anymore. Oh dear. Hmm. Anyway, our final prize for today is a uh, death, which goes to Riker for being a given up uh, for being uh, given a barely working uh, starship for the whole war game stuff there. You know, You know, especially when you realize, oh yeah, there's a holodeck on our ship. Maybe we can use that and, you know, we could have all done all this when everything would have gone perfectly the same and, you know, we don't have to actually worry about the Ferengi. But anywho, what does Riker win, Gepwin?
1: Riker wins the alternate ending that they should have had for him getting to take some amount of revenge on Korami for the whole, you know, leaving him to die nonsense which mm-hmm. is, since since he got to play Stratagema, um, Kalrami should get to take part in an ancient Earth strategy and tactics game that Riker happens to be kind of good at uh, called Boxing.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Kalrami, you want to keep your uh, your hands up like this. Uh, uh, no, stop. Less cowering, please. Come on.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just another game <laughs> where you put bulky things on your hands. And...
0: Mm-hmm. And should be should be right exactly yeah yeah you know there's just less of them you know should be more simple right yeah
1: i think you could have yeah. just ended the whole the whole episode with Riker leaving with him it's like, have you heard of boxing <laughs> <laughs> the ancient human mm. strategy challenge <laughs> mm.
0: yes uh so uh Rami uh you might want to get a some uh a tooth guard uh thing Majiga, you know mouth guard going uh set up there uh, because, you know, you're going to get a beatdown. Anyway, that's all I got here uh, today, Gepwin. Feel free to take us away.
1: And to, yeah, uh, thank, you. thank you. Thanks, thank you everyone, for travel. coming, and thanks for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Woo!
0: Uh, we've just got uh, a
1: little bit more left, don't we? No, I think we that was it. That's the end of the season, right? That's, yeah. Pretty much, I've, yeah, I've right. never seen yeah. an episode after this one.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, at least not a whole episode, right?
1: Yeah, the, the, yeah. I guess we've seen between one and ten episodes left in this <laughs> season, depending on how you count.
0: <laughs> well, uh, maybe... Uh, Maybe, uh, we'll have, uh, maybe we'll have maybe we'll have an interesting adventure with a lot of guest stars.
1: Yeah, this is, lots of guest stars.
0: yes, lots, lots of guest stars that are uh, showing up for the first time, right?
1: Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is no, uh, um, of course, the infamous, yeah. <laughs> the the worst worst episode in Star Trek's history. Though, uh, I feel like that's a little unfair because, of course, this one would yeah. be. You should just kind of leave this out of the running.
0: Yeah. Well, there is Code of Honor, which I say is still uh, uh, worse uh, uh, for uh, other reasons. Yeah. But this one is um, dull.
1: Yeah. So now we have Shades of Grey, which, thankfully for everyone involved everywhere, is Star Trek's one and only clip show. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> they decided after this, yeah, we're not really good at this clip show thing. We're gonna leave that to Stargate.
1: Yeah. We yeah. can't do it. Can't do it at all. Stargate can do one clip show a bloody season.
0: And it actually works.
1: <laughs> oh, sorta. Of. Works as well yeah, as a mo- clip show can, all. yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> Their clip shows at least like have like interesting plots other than oh, we have a, a vague excuse. You know their clip shows are like, yeah, we're gonna have this going on here, and it moves the uh, meta, uh the larger plot forward.
1: So, yeah. yeah, their <laughs> clip shows are a little bit more of a previously on, mm-hmm. <laughs> but still, I still hate right. them and skip them. Yes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I still like the one where they're uh, talking to the various foreign leaders and. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like you know, and commander. So you know, you know, uh, Th- Thor here. No, supreme commander. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's the only good bit at the end. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Clip show next time.
1: Yeah. Next time, the clip yeah. show, the clippiest of shows.
0: Mm. Oh no, Clippy.
1: Yeah, Clippy. Badgy. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Clip show next time. Don't don't. I don't know. You could you could listen if you want. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i think i think we can uh make something interesting out of this i mean if nothing least.
1: else you're gonna have to listen to us watch a clip show so you know yeah,
0: hmm.
1: yeah we we'll, suffer we'll, so we'll you don't it, have to
0: yeah we'll uh, we'll make it interesting for you guys promise yeah. next time on watchers of tomorrow i've seen this one before actually have been listening to watchers of tomorrow a podcast on science fiction media find and follow watchers of tomorrow on podbeam youtube spotify itunes google play stitcher pocketcast spreader digital podcast and perhaps many more to come if you enjoy our podcast make sure to subscribe for more and where possible make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review you may find Gepwin on YouTube.com slash Gepwin, and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Izix, on YouTube.com slash Dr. and Twitter at IzixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.